Bible, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11. We'll be centering our thoughts in this part of the Bible, Proverbs chapter 11. Good to see you this morning. We have a number of visitors with us. Uh, some of you are in town for different reasons. I know there's a fair going on. Uh, some have stayed over from the uh, workshop. And I just want to say we appreciate you being here with us. We want you to feel welcome. We're glad that you're here. Thank you for uh, joining us this morning. I also want to say before I get uh, cranked up, uh, a word of my appreciation for the efforts that were made by this congregation yesterday uh, when we had our adult Bible workshop, that first time we've ever done that. Uh, I've got to say thank you uh, to Stephen uh, for his work in leading our singing. In fact, we got one survey back that said uh, the song leading was just fantastic. Turns out it was filled out by Stephen. <laughs> but uh, those were supposed to be anonymous. Uh, but uh, appreciate, and the deacons and, and the work that they did in helping out uh, the elders for uh, overseeing all of this and for uh, giving us the green light to go forward on this. But m most of all, I appreciate all of you who uh, took the day and came to learn more about prayer. Uh, it seemed like a great day to me, and I appreciate the support of this group and uh, the work that we were able to do. So thank you so much for that good day uh, yesterday. Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 24. Proverbs 11, 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. A paradox is a statement that seems to contradict itself and yet may actually prove to be true. And a paradox tickles the brain. It says we need to look a little closer and see whether this is a contradiction or not. So when you have proverbs, very often proverbs are just simple statements of life truths and we see those and we say, yeah, that's true. But there are some Proverbs that take a turn you don't expect. And as you're reading it, you realize, wait, this is not where I thought it would go. That's what Proverbs 11.24 is. Look at it again with me. It says, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Now, I don't know about you. This may just be the way my brain works. But if I have $2 and I give one away, I'm not any richer. One gives freely yet grows all the richer. It's a paradox. It invites us to think more deeply about what is being said. So what we're going to do this morning is talk about the giving paradox. That idea that how is it that it would be good to give away our things? Why might it be better for us to give than to hold on to something? In fact, how could we be richer by giving? So let's think about that for a few minutes. I want to talk about how giving in the eyes of the writer of Proverbs is a wise activity. And there are three ways I want us to see that. First of all, giving is wise financially. Giving is wise financially. Let's look at this in verse 24. It says, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what we sh he should give and only suffers want. Now he's talking about this as a financial policy that you're going to give it away and yet grow richer. It looks foolish, but counterintuitively, it works. It is a wise use of money. Meanwhile, the second half of the verse, another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. See, this is the irony. He holds back what he has. He says, I can't afford to give. And yet, as he holds back, he doesn't have more. He's not blessed in that. Instead, he suffers want. It is a foolish policy, not to give. He is saying giving is wise financially. Verse 25, verse 25, whoever brings blessing will be enriched, 
and the one who waters will himself be watered. So bringing a blessing to others will enrich us. Watering others will lead to us being watered. So what he is saying is a truth that I think we need to remember and maybe just state plainly here. Almost never do we give ourselves into poverty. We just give and give and give until there's nothing left. I know that there are some circumstances where maybe we have, we have some person in our life who keeps taking and taking and taking. That could happen. But generally speaking, we don't get poor because we give too much. We get poor for other reasons. And what Solomon is saying is you will actually find financial wisdom in giving to others. Now, are you intrigued by that? I think that's a fascinating idea. Let's pursue it for just a minute. Leave your marker here in Proverbs 11. We'll come back. Let's go to Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28 and verse 27. Proverbs 28 and 27 says, Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. So whoever gives to the poor, he says, will not want. He's again talking in financial terms. And Solomon sees financial good coming out of giving, despite the fact that we're giving up our money. So now we need to take a time out. We've got some of those passages working in our heads. What is he not saying? He is not saying that this is some kind of secret to riches. Financial success is hidden, tucked away here in Proverbs. And all we need to know to be fabulously wealthy is you just need to give it away. If you give it away, it comes back to you, maybe more. This is not some kind of secret way the world works. What he is saying is you need to understand the godly perspective on wealth is that wealth is not all for us, even when we've earned it. Can I say it again? Our money is not all for us, even when we have earned it. It is expected that we have earned money in order to have money to give away. Not all of it, but certainly not to hold on to it just for ourselves. Let's look in Proverbs 21. In Proverbs 21, money is not all for us even when we earn it. And I want you to hear that in the way he contrasts the lazy man and the godly man, the diligent man. Proverbs 21 and verse 25. Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. So here is the sluggard. He craves and craves. He's got lots of plans, lots of goals, lots of hopes and dreams, but he doesn't work. So he never achieves them. But the diligent person is working, working, working in order, verse 26, to give and not hold back. So the one who refuses to work is criticized because if you don't work, you never have anything to give to other people. In fact, you never have anything at all. All you have is craving. So he says the pattern we need to follow is to be working hard in order to have something to give to others. That might sound familiar to you because that's exactly what Paul says in Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, I want to remind you that in every age, every era in which God has interacted with people, God has blessed the giving heart. This is Deuteronomy 15 and verse 10. You shall give to him freely and your heart shall not be grudging. Talking about how they were to view the poor. 
your heart should not be grudging when you give to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Blessing promised when we give to the poor. In fact, giving freely sounds a lot like the verse we begin with. One gives freely and yet is all the richer. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Think of a bottle of soda that you shake up and you got the cap on it and then you pop it. What happens? Okay, good measure, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. God will bless the giving heart. And just in case we're wondering, well, maybe that's financial or maybe that's something else. There are times when it is explicitly financial. Like in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Talking about the Corinthians who were taking up a collection to help their needy, Christ, their needy brothers in Jerusalem. Or, this is Philippians 4.17, when Paul has received money from the Philippian church, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You've supplied my needs, God will supply your needs. There is the idea of when you give, you will be given to, you will be blessed. In fact, I would go even a step farther and say God sometimes talks about manipulating events so that people who are givers will be blessed or at least will have what they have given repaid them. Let's see that in Proverbs chapter 28. Proverbs 28. If you have any nervousness about the idea of wealth redistribution, be careful about the verse you're about to read. Proverbs 28 and verse 8. Whoever multiplies his wealth, Proverbs 28 and 8, whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. People who make a lot of money, and the implication is they're making a lot of money in an ungodly way, they are going to collect their money so it can be given to those who are generous. Those who are generous, God's saying, I'm going to make it happen so that that money goes to those who are givers. Haggai says this, Haggai 1 verse 5, Now therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Do you ever feel that way? I tell you, I think I relate to, to Haggai's picture here. You work and you work and you don't get ahead. And the, the bag has holes in it. And he says it's because you need to consider your ways. You're not giving as you should. Now, in this case, he's talking about giving in order to help build the house of the Lord, the temple, rebuilding the temple. But, but the whole idea is you're not giving. And so, you know, things aren't going well for you. It may be that part of our financial problems is that we refuse to give. We think that if we give, we won't have enough. And so we store it up and we become like the person who keeps it to himself and yet still always wants. And the passage Jeremiah read from Malachi this morning on the table. You know, just bring in the full tithe. Just give me what I've told you to give me and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and bless you. Giving is wise financially. Now, there's a lot I'm going to say this morning that might be subject to misinterpretation. So I want to be as clear as I can be. I, I am not saying that the only thing between you and the finances of your dreams is that you just need to give more 
and that the more you give, the more God is obligated to give you back or something like that. I'm not saying any of that. I probably need to say something about responsible giving, too. My goal is not to encourage us to give to the extent that we are now needy. And now other people have to give to us. I don't believe that's the idea in Scripture. There are always limits to what we can give, and we need to respect that. We still have to use what God has provided to take care of ourselves, to take care of our families. All of that is still true. But what these passages are saying, and this is the reassurance I want you to hear, what these passages are saying is that giving money away doesn't mean we won't have anything. Instead, it means we may even have more. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. So it becomes an act of both kindness, where we give to help others, or we give to honor God, and an act of faith, where we give believing that this is not going to be the end. That instead, God will continue to provide for me and give me what I need. It is wise financially. All right, let's go back to Proverbs 11. So now I get to get into the even warmer water and say that giving is wise socially. Proverbs 11 and verse 25. Proverbs 11:25, whoever brings blessing will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. I believe the implication of that is that somebody else is willing to take care of him. You've taken care of people, now people take care of you. You watered them, now they water you. In verse 26, the people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. So the question here is, what are the social implications of being greedy? You hold back. What do people say about you? Well, they curse you. There is a blessing, though, he says, on the head of those who use their money, use their commerce to bless other people, to think about other people. So I think you probably know Solomon, who is a very wealthy man, has a lot to say about this. He has thought a lot about it. And a lot of these things that we're going to read are a little bit challenging for us because they cast our giving in a social light. What are people going to say and how are people going to respond if we do or do not do these things for them? And some of them, let's just say it, uh, get us into some strange territory. I'll show you where we're going. Proverbs 19 now. Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19 and verse 6, it says, Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. So that, that first phrase, a uh, generous man, yours might have something like a noble or a king or a prince or something like that. Uh, there's a lot of different uh, translations of that. But I think the second half of the verse is pretty clear. That is, everybody is a friend to a gift giver. Everybody loves somebody who gives gifts, don't they? Don't you like that? I mean, does that bother you? Does that upset you? How dare you give me a gift? I didn't want this. No, it's something that everybody says, okay, this is a kindness that they're trying to show to me. And what's funny is that the book of Proverbs in several places, we're going to read one, in several places the book of Proverbs applies that logic to bribes, where if you give a gift by bribing someone, it's going to be really good for you. It's going to take you places. Look in Proverbs 17 and verse 8. Proverbs 17 and verse 8. I'm reading from the ESV, so mine will read a little different from yours. But Proverbs 17 and verse 8 says, A bribe is like a magic stone 
in the eyes of the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he prospers. A magic stone or a charm or a precious stone. Yours might say something like a present or a gift is like that precious stone. But the whole idea is pretty simple. If you're willing to give gifts, it'll open a lot of doors. Even if it's a bribe. Bribes have an impact, don't they? You give something and you get something in return. That something may be social rather than just financial. All right, now I have to say something that I never thought when I started preaching I would have to say. I am not advocating bribery. (laughs) There I said it. I'm not advocating bribery for several reasons, but I think this is part of the paradox of giving. That is, you give something away, but there is an impact of that that you get something back you might not anticipate. And I think, you know, when we get through all the weirdness of that, the point is this. If we care about people and we see them in need or we see a way we can help, it's natural that we're going to give to help them. And if we refuse to give, if we're unwilling because we say, no, I've got to withhold this, then there are going to be some social consequences from that. People are going to say, you don't care about me. This relationship is not what I thought it was. And so if we give, if we share, there is a social benefit that Solomon is pointing out. I want to go now to Luke chapter 16. Luke 16. While we're on this odd point, I thought we'd talk about this odd story. Luke chapter 16 and verse 1. It says, this is a parable of Jesus. He also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, what is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. All right, so you got a lot of weird things going on here. For one, the the hero of the story is dishonest. That's strange. But the idea, uh, let let me just summarize the way I understand the action in this story. The action is that this manager is about to lose his job, and so he starts thinking ahead. What can I do, because I know I'm about to, have my, I'm about to lose my job, what can I do to, fall, to land on my feet when this is all over? So he says, you know what I'll do? I will use the few days I have left in this position to make some people really my friends. So he goes to them, and he says, how much do you owe? And they, they negotiate. And he says, well, instead of 100, why don't you just pay 50 and we'll write paid on the bill? Why don't you just write 80 and we'll write paid on the bill? Sounds good to me. Sounds good to you. So basically, everybody's happy except the master who has been defrauded. So he's happy. The customer's happy. And in fact, the customer likes him and is saying, hey, that guy did me a, a good service. So he has made friends 
by using money. And of course, the master calls him in and says, uh, this is wrong, why did you do this? But man, I got to tell you, that's pretty impressive. He's almost saying, you know, I'm not even that mad. I, I'm just surprised. That's, that's pretty good stuff. Now, that's a weird story for Jesus to tell, isn't it? So Jesus makes the application in verse 9. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. So Jesus says, make friends using money. Use your money to make friends. Now, the primary point Jesus is making is looking ahead to the time when money will not help anymore. There's going to be a time when money fails. And I believe he's talking about the new age when things are going to be changed and you want to know that you'll be received into the eternal dwellings. Be rich toward God is what he's saying. But very often these situations play out socially with people and their needs and money can help socially. What Jesus is saying is care more about relationships than you care about money. Use money. Let money be a tool in your hand, but don't think money is the end or the goal. And sometimes that's going to play out socially. So let me say this. Giving being wise socially is not about buying friends. You know, if you have enough money and you spread it around, you'll get some really good friends. That's not biblical. That's not the idea. It's also not to say that giving money always makes relationships better. I think we probably all know of situations and probably have experienced some where money changing hands actually ruins relationships. I understand that. and I'm not really talking about that. I am saying that there is a principle here that we can't ignore people's needs. We can't see someone having a need and just bypass it and say, no, I'm not going to help them, and then have a strong relationship with them. That's not the way that's going to work. If we want to be a friend and we want to have friends, it's going to involve being willing to give. Giving would be wise socially. All right, let's go back to Proverbs 11. Proverbs 11. And the, the last thing we're going to see here is that giving is wise spiritually. Proverbs 11 and verse 28. Proverbs 11 and verse 28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So the connection here is between not giving and trusting riches. That the reason that is given for not giving is because we are trusting in our riches. The righteous, though, at the end of verse 28, the righteous flourish, but they don't flourish because they're trusting their money. They flourish for different reasons. They flourish because they're willing to give. And of course, behind this text is God, ensuring the outcomes, making sure that the stingy person falls and that the righteous person flourishes. So I think we need to think for a moment about giving and trusting riches, how those two are opposites. It's just hard to trust something you keep giving away. Look with me in Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19. Proverbs 19 and verse 17. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. When we give to other people, he says we lend to Jehovah, and Jehovah will repay. Now, it's not clear how, but what I want you to see is when we give, God notices and God promises, 
I'm going to reward you. This is on me. It is not about those people sometime, someday, somehow getting enough money where they can pay you back. That's not the idea. You're not lending to them. You give to the poor, you're lending to Jehovah. He will repay. So there is a trust here that says if I'm willing to give, I'm trusting that God's going to be the one who notices and who will take care of the imbalance that is created when I give away something that's mine. Go with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy 6, Paul talks about the idea that we might be tempted to trust in our wealth. And he, he contrasts that with the willingness to give. Because again, it's hard to trust what we keep giving away. 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. First Timothy 6 and verse 17, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So he says, don't trust in riches, don't trust in your money, trust in God. And instead, he says, give. Did you see that in verse 18? Do good. Be rich in good works. Be generous and ready to share. Lay up a foundation for the life to come, not just this life. It's about what's the balance going to be there, not what's the balance here. And money can help us in that because when we give it away, we're laying a foundation for what's to come. We're laying up treasure in heaven. We need to be honest about the fact that our money tends to corrupt us. We tend to get attached to it. And Paul is saying, the way you make sure you're not trusting in it is you open your hand. You guys know, I've talked about this before, one of the most beautiful images and powerful images in Scripture to me is when Moses tells the children of Israel to open your hand to those who are in need. And I love the idea of opening the hand because it's hard to hold on to something and grasp it when your hand is open. It's okay if you take it. It's okay. I don't have to cling to it. I don't have to hold to it. I don't have to worry about it. And to me, the clutching is the definition of greed. And the open hand is the antithesis of greed. We fight greed, not by planning for our physical future, but by planning for our spiritual future. What happens when all the money goes back in the box and it goes to someone else and we are left to meet God. So we fight greed by being generous. So there is spiritual wisdom in being ready to give. Because I am not going to allow money to have the hold on me that it would if I was unwilling. Look with me in 2 Corinthians 8. In 2 Corinthians 8, Paul talks about this. In 2 Corinthians 8, as part of spiritual development, we talk a lot about uh, how as Christians we grow, we put away certain things, and we, we put other things in their place, how we need to learn ethics, how we need to grow in self-control. We've got all of these issues. Well, when Paul talks about giving, he puts giving in that same list. Look in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 7. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 7. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Contextually, he's talking about giving. And he says, just like you're growing, and you're growing here, and you're growing here, you're attacking your weakness here and here and here, he says, you need to grow in this. Grow in your giving, your willingness to give, or else 
something is lacking. And giving is why spiritually? Because we know that giving is close to God's heart. It makes us like God, and it makes God pleased with us. This is really simple. Turn the page to 2 Corinthians 9. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. When you see a phrase like that, God loves something, or it is precious in the sight of God, that should make us take notice. Perk up and say God loves one particular attitude or attribute. God loves a cheerful giver. Not a reluctant giver, not a forced giver, someone who willingly opens their hand. It is close to God's heart. He says this, Hebrews 13, 16, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. God loves it, it pleases him. So we might lose some money, but if God loves it and we please God, isn't that worth it? That's spiritually wise. Something we give, we lose something, but we gain something far more valuable. So please understand, please hear me well, I am not saying that if we give enough, we pay our way into heaven. That somehow this is a shortcut for doing the right things in other situations. It is simply that. If this pleases God, why wouldn't we share? Why wouldn't we give? And I also believe it's a sign of a converted heart that says, I want to be like God. God is a giving God, and I want to be a giving servant of God. So, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. It's the giving paradox. You know, Jesus says it another way. Jesus says, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Same idea. Somehow giving is better, even though we have less. Now, you might ask, well, why, why would I preach this? I want to assure you we don't have some kind of capital campaign we're about to start. No, we're not fundraising in some way. Not angling for us to give more money to the church. This is. This is about understanding a way of viewing our money and our relationships with other people. It is a way of saying, there is an obstacle here that is the most stubborn obstacle. It is the obstacle that says, I'm not sure if I give this away, if I'll have what I need. And over and over again, God is reassuring us, just trust me. I'm going to take care of you. If you're seeking first the kingdom, you'll have what you need. And part of seeking first the kingdom is being willing to share when those opportunities arise. And so I urge you and encourage you. You're going to come across situations and people and causes. They will need your time and your energy and your attention. And sometimes they will need your money to open your hand in situations where you see that there is something good that can come from your giving. Remember that that is what God's will for you is, and it pleases him, and he loves it. And it may be that there is more that you can give than just money, more that is required than just money. 
And it may be that you expend all your time and all your energy. It may be that you give the best years of your life to a, a service, to a person, to a cause. And I believe what is being taught here is that you're not any poorer for that sacrifice. That God sees it and God will repay. So let's be willing, not just to store up things for ourselves, but to give to others and trust that God will provide. There might be someone here this morning who needs to respond to the invitation of the Lord, the call of Jesus to come to Him, to lay down their burdens, to follow after Him and to learn from Him, to become a disciple of Jesus. And we want to give you this opportunity as a part of our worship so that we can help you to be right with God. And if you have never named the name of Jesus and put your faith in Him, this is a time where you can do that where you can come and turn away from your sins and confess your faith in Him, be baptized into Christ. If there's more study that you need to do, this is a time when you can let us know. If there is some need that you have that we can help you with, this is a time where you can say, here is what I need. If you need our prayers, if you need our help, this is a time for you. So if there is any need that you have this morning, we invite you to come to the front as we stand and sing to encourage you.